The Athletic. Lauren Hill. So difficult to stop. Oh! And then we're going to go to Hada. And then Kampen for Pernille Hada. Miedema. Miedema from the Dokers. Miedema! Goal, 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 goal. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast Euros Edition. Coming up, Alex pops on fire. France, like our trains, stopped in their tracks. And can Germany pause the Lionesses' success? It's Lindsay Hooper here. I'm reunited with Kate Borsay. Hello, Kate. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I listened back to the show after I was outside the stadium and it, it was nice to get some of the atmosphere. But oh my word, did I, I it felt so loud. I think my <laughs> microphone in my phone might be broken. So for anyone listening back yesterday, I was excited, but that was extra fantastic. Uh, <laughs> I think everyone in Rotherham could hear you, Linz. <laughs> yeah. I think so. I had to turn myself down when uh, listening to you <laughs> on the show. Um, joining us today, a former lioness, Rachel Yankee Yanks. What did you make of that? <laughs> hey, everyone. Yeah, that was pretty cool, wasn't it? Oh, my God. Were you in a box park? That's yeah. Where you've been, that's where you've been hanging out, I see. I know, yeah. I've, I've been loving it down there. Each game, the crowd has got bigger and... Um, Yeah, yesterday's atmosphere was just unbelievable. I loved it. What is the one thing that you've noticed about the crowds that's taken you by surprise? You know, not not just them growing, but just who's there? Well, well yeah, just such a mi mixture of of different people and different ages. Uh, you know, there was kids there, there was grown men, there was women. Um, I think what 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 surprised me and was probably my favourite moment of the tournament was the three lads sitting behind me singing Beth Mead's On Fire. <laughs> <laughs> and they were proper going for it. And I was like, I was just, to be honest, I was they they distracted me that much. So I was watching them for, for a good like 10 minutes because I was just like, I can't believe this. This is, this doesn't happen in women's football. And, um, you know, I, I, I was kind of just taken aback by that, to be honest, that they were... They were just enjoying the game, the atmosphere, singing the songs and just getting fully immersed in everything that was that was happening. And I, I loved it. Oh, it's such a good game. We will talk more about it in just a minute. But newsflash this evening, England will play against the eight-time champions Germany on Sunday night. Da, da, da. In the middle. Alexander Pop zum zweiten 76. Minute Deutschland für 2 zu 1. Look, it won't be a 6-2 win in favor of the Germans like it was in 2009, will it, Rachel? We've got such a tasty fixture on our hands here. Well, I hope not. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I uh, I think there's there's two fantastic teams. I think the the scenario is obviously different in terms of You know, back in 2009, Germany were had so much investment and, and professionalism in their game, and, and obviously the England team was was nowhere near that. And now, obviously, we see you know the WSL is fully professional. The support that these players, the investment that they have uh, within the England team, the England setup is is amazing, and they're um, they're thriving. And obviously, they. 
they just look like a team that are playing with such confidence, experience, but then a kind of, uh, I don't know if it's a naivety or, um, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, youth players just want to go out there and play and do their things. And it's, um, it's quite exciting to watch. And I'm, I'm just really enjoying that they're just embracing the fact that each game, everybody's trying to pile on pressure of expectation and what will happen. And they're just, you know what, they go out there, they play their football, they sing and dance afterwards. Yeah. And they look they're like just they're absorbing it, aren't they? They are absorbing it. They're having a, a lot of fun. I'm so glad, Rachel, that it's Germany. I much prefer them because I think Serena Wiegmann will know what to do against the Germans She'll be able to plan for what happens against Germany more than she will against France because there is still an air of unpredictability about how Corinne Diacqua sets up her teams and the kind of players that she starts with. I also think it might make people just back away slightly from handing the Euros to England just yet. Everyone knows the history of England-Germany and this will add perhaps a decent amount of caution to it so that, so that you know, there isn't an almighty dump of expectation on those England players. They've been so good handling it so far and I just want them to carry on like that. You and and many legendary players and we've been seeing so many of you in commentary, you know, with Faye White last night, we've been speaking to Laura Bassett, you know, we've seen Farrah on the TV, Alex Scott on the TV. So many of you have built and built the foundations for what we're seeing today. Do you ever stop and take a moment or have you stopped and just thought for a minute about about your part in all this no not really um no I think um, you're too humble Rachel Yankin <laughs> <laughs> no I, well we all went out there and we all played football because we enjoyed playing football so selfishly that's what we wanted to do it wasn't to try and improve it for anyone else so you know we we went out there yeah but you still had to make to, sacrifices yeah a lot of sacrifices that, more than maybe players these days yeah, definitely. But I think that, you know, the world changes and there was a lot of players that were before us that didn't get the recognition that we've got. So um, I think I think most people that come into women's football come in with the understanding that, yeah, you want to play the game, but you want to you want to put it in a better place than, than where where you started. And I, I feel that the way that we played and the, what we did, we've we've managed to to up the level and now this generation obviously have got a better um a better foundation and a better understanding and a better education and better support they'll up the level again and for the next generation coming it will be even better and and hopefully we'll see better footballers and a better standard of our game so yeah just fingers crossed that every year it just keeps improving well that's it isn't it it's about the future and and knowing you knowing bass Knowing Rachel Bram finish, you've all got children, you've got daughters. What do you feel for them? Yeah, no, it, well, it's positive. I think, you know, I've worked a lot in primary school. So as much as we want to, you know, encourage our daughters to play and empower our daughters, we also want to educate. I haven't got sons, but they're boys. So we want to educate the guys that the girls can play and there's nothing wrong with girls playing football and and that also if you're you're a boy you can have a role model that is a female and there's now visible role models out there for everybody to look up and you know to 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 copy Russo's goal and and to run around the playground and do that
I just think that these moments we have to make sure that we continue. We we, we have a legacy. We we actually really empower our, our our role models to to educate the youngsters and also the older generation that you know football is a game for everyone. Speaking of role models, um, Yanks, I, I've got to confess right now. I, I actually spoke to Kate earlier on on her radio show about being in a room with Hope Powell and the England team. I think it was about 2010, 2011. And it was when I very first met the England team at that point. And I walked into that room and it was the lovely Lance Hardy that introduced me to all of you at the time. And I have to confess, I walked in and I knew you. I knew who you were from playing on the wing and I knew Kelly Smith and that was it at that time. And wow, you know, you look over a decade later and and I think that people now would name the whole squad pretty much from this team. So, and that was someone who was into football and wanted to know who players were, but it just wasn't there. So I think it does go to show how much times have moved on. You've got to describe who Lance is now, Lindsay. I do, I do. And I know, Rachel, that you will have known him very well, but Lance Hardy was a senior executive producer at the BBC. And when I first met him, he was in charge of final score in women's football and he was a driving force. I know that he wrote Kelly Smith's autobiography and worked with her. I know that they were very close. And yeah, unfortunately, in the last year, he passed away. And I had one of those emotional moments, actually, Rachel, where I was thinking about people that aren't here who have been part of that journey. I'm sure you've had the same. And just to see the vision and the sights that we've seen in these stadiums now and and where it's gone and just opening the papers as well this morning it was on the front pages not the back pages and um yeah it does get you it does you for all those people and all the people that you talked about that went before you yeah no it is and and I think it will be it will get us even more when we uh you know walk down that that Wembley way or see or watch the tv seeing the amount of people that are going to go into Wembley for that final and know that that England are there and and that they're going to battle it out. They're going to give everything to um, to try and win that. And it's just, it's a special day. I thought you were being uber confident then. I thought you were like, and it's going to be even more special when we win. <laughs> <laughs> well, fingers crossed. I hope so. I, 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 I don't, everybody, every time at Box Park, they're like, is it coming home? Is it coming home? Is it coming home? And I'm trying to say, <laughs> I don't like, know. <laughs> just on a level. So I'm not going to, I feel like it's got us this far. I feel like, you know, don't want to push it. Well, look, reaching a home final, it's got to inspire a nation. It will inspire a nation. But I do want to say it is a glaring fact that, you know, again, it was an all-white England team on that pitch. Big contrast when you look at teams like France as well tonight. So it is worth noting. And with attention on the game, kind of more than it's ever been before, I think it's only right that you know, we go deeper and we ask some questions about this. So uh, we've invited along Deborah Nelson, who's a practitioner and a presenter at Football Beyond Borders. For those who don't know Deborah, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, the Euro edition. Tell us what your work involves at Football Beyond Borders. Hi, guys. I've got to apologise. My throat is a bit rusty because we were <laughs> at the game yesterday. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> well, yeah. We were lucky enough to take 30 girls down to go watch the game yesterday. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, it was a really beautiful moment. 
but yeah, the work at Football Beyond Borders. So back in 2018, I worked alongside a lady called Salon to develop the girls program. Historically, FBB had been working with boys and only boys. I was the only girl on an all boys program. And then in 2018, we launched the girls program. And the whole aim of the girls program is to really develop this sense of sisterhood and allowing girls to have a safe space to explore football, explore having relatable role models, explore being in a non-competitive environment, but also bringing in healthy competition through football. And yeah, really and truly, it's just about this intensive long-term support where we go in weekly and we work with the same group of girls in the classroom and outside on the football pitch just to develop their SEL, so social and emotional learning competencies, um, which is like relationships, social awareness. And we just kind of really allow them to showcase their talent, be their authentic self and just have a space where they can really be themselves. Fantastic work. Tell us a bit about your own football journey, Deborah, for those that don't know. Yeah, so I kind of literally fell in love with it like I was just randomly in the playground in primary school saw the boys playing on this really nice astroturf and I was like this looks quite fun and it was just really a way of just passing time during lunchtime and just being amongst loads of peers um, and just staying active and then yeah I really enjoyed it so started to find look for teams outside of school and was lucky enough to start playing football on the weekends And yeah, I just kind of carried on playing, carried on playing, then came across football beyond borders in school and then started playing with them as well and joining their programme. And I did that for a lot of my teenage years. And then towards the end, around like 17, I decided to stop playing football properly because, yeah, I think I understood the financial burden that it was having on my family and then also understood was starting to go on this journey of like understanding my identity a lot more. And I think I found myself being hyper visible in those spaces and just always was aware of being the only black girl on a team or the only black girl playing against an all white team as well. And I found that space really difficult and also Mm. difficult to have uncomfortable conversations with coaches. Often my coaching staff was always white men. And I felt like as a young black woman, it was really difficult to go to them with some of the issues that I was facing because I never thought, I never believed they truly understood where I was standing or where I was coming from. So yeah, I made the decision. This became a real talking point earlier on in the tournament. I think Ailey Barber, obviously, what she said on on BBC really gathered traction. Certainly on social media, it got a lot of pickup about the lack of diversity in this Lionesses squad. And since then, the FA have have made a point of showing what they're doing with these 60 emerging talent centres and focusing more on on inclusivity and greater reach across the country. And I wondered from your point of view and bringing Rachel Yankee back in as well, what your reaction has been to their reaction? Yeah, it's amazing to hear that there are things being put in place and there is, yeah, they are reacting to it. I think sometimes though there is a moment of like just listening to the problem and taking and inviting these individuals that are talking about the lack of diversity into the room to also help with the development of solutions. I think it's really important and yeah, quite nice that they are actively trying to improve the situation just with the people that are currently in the room. But I think sometimes for this to be a long-term solution, I feel like it doesn't need, it needs to be reactive, but it also needs to be 
really structured well, where there are community leaders, there are different stakeholders that are having an investment in the decisions that are being made. And I also think, yeah, the FA are a part of this issue. They aren't the people that can solely solve it by themselves. I think it's about thinking about what they're going to do as a solution and also thinking about what other different stakeholders can do to also push that because you can create 60 centres, but if young girls still can't access it, it's pointless. So I think, yeah, making sure that it's a whole rounded approach. Yeah. And you can create centres, but if they're staffed by predominantly white people, then girls like you mm-hmm. in your teens are going to come and say, well, where are the people who look like me and where are the people who can who can stand in my shoes? Rachel, come in on this. What do you make of the conversations that have been had at this year as about the lack of diversity in the England team? It's not an easy subject to talk on because it's not one thing. It's not it's not a it's not straightforward. There are, there are many different reasons you're looking at the England team, but then you've got to look at WSL. Um, and I don't know the stats and facts, but you're speaking an England team from people that are playing well. And if you don't have enough diversity within the WSL or whatever league the English players are playing in, then you can only, the England manager can only pick what players are there. So therefore you need to make sure that the WSL are offering op- opportunities to players that are non-white. Then you need to you need to make sure that the the other leagues, you know, the championship, mm. that they're of a higher quality. Because if there's players there, then how do they get into WSL teams? Then you, you, you're looking at there's so many different things that you need to look at. For me, it's not it's not one thing. It's not just about grassroots. It's not just about where the centres are and, and where the academies or where the training grounds are. All these things are a factor. Coaches as well. Sometimes, yeah, it's somebody that looks like you and the colour of your skin, but also sometimes it's someone that you can relate to. I know growing up at Arsenal, I might have been one of one or two maybe non, non-white players, but there was a lot of players that I could really relate to because of where we grew up was the same kind of areas with the schools that we went to, the way that we spoke. So for me, it's about people that are relatable. I also add in when, when anybody talked to me about this issue is as much as it's a diversity in, in color issue, it's also a class issue. It's also, there are many factors that we've got to look at and we've got to make sure like for me growing up and when I was in the England team, the England team was predominantly Southern-based and, and London-based and inner city. Now, I, I, I could be wrong, but there's only like one or two players that are from London and inner city. So that to me is, is a big worry. And then you've got to look down how, how, we, how we make sure that these players are getting the opportunity because I won't accept the fact that London is not producing talent. I I can't accept that because we, you know, well, I came out of London. So Mm -hmm. I I, I don't, I 100% believe there's more players that that would have played football just in the same way that that I loved playing football. Uh, They just didn't have the same opportunity and the same, I suppose, where we trained back at then at Arsenal. It was, it was at Highbury. And that was a lot easier to get to than 
than a St talent Albans. centre so, in Hertfordshire. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So it's a factor, but it's not the only thing. I think there's so many, there's so many different ways. And then also you've got to look at what we decide as talent. You know, who, who, who decides what's talent? Who decides how, how you want to play and what you see as a successful player and a talented player? So what my opinion of a good footballer might be totally different to yours. But if I, if, if you're the manager picking that team, then you're going to pick a team uh, of players that, that you want that fit into your values. I would pick a team that fit into my values. So there's so many different things that you need to factor in. And that's why it's, um, it has to be a longer conversation. It has to be a very awkward conversation and people have to be willing to be open and change. I'm glad you spoke about manager there because immediately I'm also thinking about the the long period of time that the England team had Hope Powell as as its main head coach. Now I know since then it's been a very white coaching staff that we've seen since, but there was obviously a huge impact that Hope had during her time in charge. I don't know whether there's any correlation as well from from her being the coach and maybe players coming through who were more diverse, seeing her in charge, making those decisions and selecting and thinking it was more possible and whether that's had any influence now as well. I don't I don't know whether you think it has. I don't know. And I, I obviously can't speak for other people. I mean, I, I looked at Hope, well, I played in the same team as her. So yeah. firstly, as a fantastic player. Yeah, obviously, you know, as, as a human being uh, of what she stood for. Yeah, of course, you see you see the colour. But for me, I just think as a, as a player, she was a fantastic player who was a teammate and then went into a manager and then it was it was it was quite strange then taking orders off of a, <laughs> a, a former teammate and it was a bit like really yeah so um so so that was that was weird but um I can definitely appreciate and I think maybe maybe because of because of the color of my skin maybe because obviously I wasn't white maybe the maybe the fact that I could look at things in maybe a different way to some of my teammates. I know that I always had an appreciation uh, where some people, because I've had conversations with some people, didn't quite get where I was coming from when I was like, can you imagine how difficult it is for her to go and stand up in a room full of people that, one, don't believe in women's football, two, are all of an older generation uh, and and three are all white and mm. you know you're you've you're made to feel inferior that you're yeah the color of your skin but you're yeah. a woman as well so, so it's intersectional isn't it it's on it's on so many different levels it's yeah. not you know always just about the color of your skin deborah come in on this yeah i think the coaching and manager part was really interesting of just being like yeah positions of leadership and who hold those positions of leadership and I think, yeah, like just sometimes receiving orders can be difficult or just being able to connect and really feel like also just being like, if you are having a down day and just like that sense of safety, sometimes it comes with someone that you can see yourself in. So I think that was, that is always like quite difficult or from my own experience anyway, I always felt that that was quite difficult. And also I just feel like, the phrase see it to believe it has been thrown out quite a lot when we speak about diversity and I think we always it's 
often always just thrown out in retrospect to like players but I think it goes wide it goes beyond that I think yeah there's a whole thing around getting more diverse coaches into the game at both grassroots level and also at an elite level I think yeah there has been a lot of investment into getting diverse coaches in the grassroots but I think we've missed the gap of like development and getting them into the elite level and then also I think yeah, the seat to believer idea for parents, I think, is also a really interesting one of recognizing that your daughter can play at an elite level and it is worth the sacrifice or working, not working a little bit harder, that's the wrong term, but willing to be able to provide your daughter those opportunities because she can make a living out of it. Whereas yeah. I think yeah. for a lot of young boys who I remember, there's a story where a young boy who grew up in Peckham, he was seen as like an aspiring talent and the club and his parents were, and the school were working together in unison to make sure that that young boy could train, attend training on time every single day. And they would get a cab to pick him up from school to drop him to training and then back home. And then within that, he'll also have a meal. He'll also have people that were helping to make sure that he stayed on track with schoolwork. And I think that is one of the elements that we're also missing in the women's game for mm-hmm. young aspiring girls. Because I think if a parent was given the support and all the different factors of a young girl's life was working in unison together, I think mm. a lot more girls from the inner city would be able to access the elite level. It's a, it's also about finance because if you think now, if you're if you're a club and you're training up a player, what guarantee have you got? In, the, in men's football, if you train up a player and then somebody else buys that player, you, you, you get your money back or they have to buy them off you. In women's football, you train up a player and you've spent so much time and money and effort in training that player and then their contract ends or they want to walk out the door, they just go and you've lost them. So unless you're one of the big clubs... You, you won't be able to survive. So the question mark would be, well, why train that player? So that's why you see teams in the WSL, they just go and buy a ready-made player because they can, because it's probably cheaper. It's probably, yeah, it's mm-hmm. a really good point. That's a really good way. point, yeah. yeah. That's such to, a good point. To build up. So then we lose a whole generation of having an opportunity of, of players that, you know, that could have maybe been funded in, in some sort of way or helped. Speaking of generations, can we give the final word? You know, the 30 children that you took, Deborah, to go and watch the Lionesses. Come on, let, let's talk about them. What were they saying? How are they feeling right now? They were absolutely buzzing. I mean, yeah, just they held such a presence in that stadium yesterday. It was so beautiful. We yeah got caught on ITV News. We got caught on BBC News. <laughs> It was so funny because basically it was, for a lot of them, it was their first ever game, football game in a stadium. Yeah, also their yeah. first ever Lioness game. So in the beginning, like as prep, we were like teaching them all the songs. We were having like vocal warm-ups on the coach and they were learning all the songs. And then when Beth Mead scored, they were obviously learning the Beth Mead song and they automatically just jumped <laughs> up and started singing, like without our lead, anything. And they were like literally prepped so much for that moment. So for them to experience it and just be able to say that they went to see the Lionesses get into the final was amazing. 
And yeah, it was just a really beautiful experience just seeing them out there actually living it because a lot of them, yeah, they feel very detached from the players. Um, so being able, for them to be able to be in the stadium, see them up close and like recognise that. I think also there is a real beauty with the women's game in this form because it does still feel so intimate. So I think for them, it does really help when you get the Lionesses doing a lap of honour at the end and the girls are so close to them. They were like, wow, these, these women are humans. And I think I always find it really difficult talking about, about diversity and the lack of it when we refer to the Lionesses, just because I think everyone says, oh, the, the team of 11 or the squad of 11 and then the wider squad, they, they also forget that these it's out of the control of these women like they have just been lucky enough to be talented enough to get to the elite level. They couldn't change the path that they have walked. So I think it is about, yeah, just now using these women as role models. And like you said, Rachel, identifying the different values that they hold and using that as assets and allowing the young people to connect with those assets if they can't connect on an actual physical identity level. And I think that is what you get at the women's games at, in its current form of just the intimacy and how much it feels like such a family. So, yeah, the girls loved it overall. Oh, it's been so good to speak to you. And, you know, congratulations for all you're doing at Football Beyond Borders. Deborah Nelson, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for having me. Sorry about my voice. <laughs> you're forgiven. <laughs> Right, time to move away from England to their final opponents, Germany. Let's dive into how they got into the final. Looks with the cross, this is dangerous. Oh, it's 1 0 Germany! And who's got the goal? Alexandra Pop! There's a chance for Diani! It's in! It's 1 1! Germany are pressing, looking for Pop, and she scores again! The whistle has beaten France. And Germany are through to play England in the final on Sunday. France's Kadidiatu Diani had a rapid answer to Alex Pop's first goal for Germany in this Milton Keynes semi-final. But another Pop goal was just too much for Le Bleu. A 2-1 loss and back home to France they go. Goodness me, uh, this was always, always going to be a high-class game, Rachel Yankee. The organisation of Germany and the flair of France. Overall, what did you make of the game? Um, I thought it was a, a really, a really good game. and um, I love the way France play. And I think back to my time playing, France were always a team that were, were so exciting, but never really achieved you know, what they were expected to do. So a part of me kind of wanted to, them to get to the final. <laughs> and just that would have been just such an end-to-end game, England, England, France. But England, Germany will be tough. I thought the Germans were, were very physical. I think their midfield three worked so well together. And then obviously you got Pop, who's... I, I was watching it and thinking, gosh, she's so much like Prince. Like, obviously, mm. I played against Prince and was like, oh, not her again. <laughs> and then, yeah, when they when they when the game ended, 
I saw princes in their staff. I was yes, like, oh my she's on the God. coaching staff. <laughs> yeah, I was like, gosh. I, was I, don't no th- I don't think that's a coincidence. Honestly, the way that Pop's been playing this tournament, I do not think that's a coincidence. Can I say that Faye White had exactly, she said exactly the same thing last night. She said she was thinking about Prince so much. Uh, and then when she watched the last game, she saw Prince <laughs> in their coaching setup and she was like, what? so this brings us on nicely to the golden boot chat here doesn't it because pop made history tonight first player ever to score six goals in five consecutive games at women's euro and it feels like england have got a lot of the records this tournament but that is a record that goes to pop then you come on to the golden boot race because those two goals for her tonight means that she equals Mead in the Golden Boot race. They're both on six. And it's the first time that two players have scored five or more goals in the same tournament. Rachel, who's winning the Golden Boot? Wow, <laughs> it's just, first off, hats off to both of them because it's just amazing goal tally. But obviously, Mead's still out there with her assists. Surely that, do assists count? Oh, if they're level. Yes. Oh, yes, yeah. yes they do. Yes, so, it does. Yeah, come on, Mead. Yeah, get, <laughs> get a goal or, or get an assist. Um, you know, I think no, she's done. She's done so well, considering she's not the out and out centre forward. You know, coming in off the wings, obviously to score, just amazing. But um, I, yeah, I don't want Pop to score. <laughs> <laughs> None of us do. No. None of us want Pop to score. First half, I thought it was a little bit nervy from both sides to start off with. Uh, Lena McGull, she's just everywhere. She was she was brilliant. Pop was brilliant. Oberdorf, 20 years old. And she was absolutely bossing it, wasn't she? She she covers so much ground. She was just I mean I mean I would love to have put a little little pedometer, is it? On her one I'm of those sure little she's tracking got one things. On her. They, yeah. they will be yeah. tracking and getting all those stats. Is Clara Ball, who was out with COVID for this mm. one, will she be back for the final now? I was trying to work that out. She, she could be, couldn't she? She could be oh, because dear. the final's how many days away and she tested positive, was it yesterday, I think? So yes, in theory, she could oh. be. It just depends whether she keeps testing and what happens. Uh, but I, I mean, do they even do they even need Clara Bull? I thought uh, Eula Brand was was good in her place, and they've just they've just got so many good personnel, haven't they? Germany as well. I, I loved how they kept their shape. I thought that was that was really important. However, press. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's ruthless. It's relentless. It's. It's horrible. They just go to play and against. go again, isn't it? Wave after wave after yeah. wave. And so England have got to work out how to try and combat that. I do want a word for France, though, because I love watching them play as well, Rachel. I think they are the most exciting team to watch in terms of the personnel that they have and the flair as well. Laura Georges was saying at the end on, on the BBC comms that actually one of France's issues tonight was that they were playing. Solo, they were playing for themselves. They weren't playing as a team tonight. They weren't playing for one another. Do you think that that was right? In previous tournaments, I would always say that that was their downfall, is that they were they always went very individual. Yeah. But I thought it was tonight, interesting that that's sort of what she was laying at their door again tonight. Yeah. Well, tonight, I, I thought they, you know, they had spells, I think, the first the first part of the first half, I thought it was all Germany. I thought Germany really started the game, you know, quick, early, set their stall out of what they wanted to do and they really um, put the pressure on France. Um, then I thought 
France sort of ease themselves back into the game. Obviously, getting that goal right at the end of um, of the first half was, you know, was 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 fantastic for them. But um, yeah, I think they 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 had enough about them. I don't I don't I wouldn't say that they were very individual. I thought they they played quite well, but they just weren't clinical enough in the final third. You didn't really ever bank on them actually scoring. I mean, the, the goal was was a fantastic goal, but normally you wouldn't think a player was going to shoot from there, and that's probably why it went in because it caught the keeper by surprise. But um, yeah, and probably in the final third, they weren't very fluent and uh, and together there. We will be getting an expert view from the Germany side of things in a preview that we're doing for the final. However, let's stick with France, who Kate's been loving. We've got French journalist Tara Britton, who was at Stadium MK, and she joins us now. You're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, Euro Edition. Tara, thank you very much for joining us. I understand that you're fresh from the mix zone. What has been the verdict? What were the players saying to you? We were asking them if they were more feeling frustrated or or if it was more some deception. I don't know if you say that. Uh, it was a it was a mixed feeling. They felt that Germany was not that not that strong. Well, there was Germany was strong, but they were not that far from them. But they felt that maybe Germany was a little bit more fresh because they had two more days to prepare the game and to be fit. So yeah, that was uh, that was the main uh, the main feeling: yeah. just deception and frustration. Frustration. Deception, by the way, is disappointment. Yeah, is the English translation for that. So that makes sense before anyone starts any conspiracy theories um, <laughs> yeah. after this after this podcast. What do you think, as a journalist who's been covering uh, the tournament? Tell us what you thought of the French team today, Tara. For me, it was quite obvious that Germany was uh, a step ahead of France. Germany, uh, Germany's win is logical for me. At any point, we were able to enter in the head and to make them um, have doped. France wasn't enough efficient, again, uh, like during the game against Netherlands. Uh, during the games, the game against Netherlands, they had like 33 shots, I think, and then they only scored thanks to a penalty. Today, it was a bit like that. Uh, in the second half, they had opportunities, but they w- were not able to to score at the perfect time. And my burning question, Tara, has to be around Corinne Diacre. <laughs> Because she has been so unpredictable, yet she's got France further than they've ever been in a women's Euro before. They've got to the semi-final. They might be going home, but they, in their own way, have made some history. Do you think she will be in charge come the World Cup next year? Yeah, you're true. She, she, has, she has done what any coach has done for the past 10 years. So the team has improve in that sense because they didn't reach the semi-final for 10 years. I think her job is quite secure because there are many different competitions which are coming. Uh, the 2023 World Cup, the Olympic Games in Paris, and then the Euro again. So, And I think what we can 
remember from the French viewers is that there's a group who has been there and a group which there's a really good um, atmosphere in this group compared to the 2019 World Cup. So I think she, she doesn't have to worry too much about her job. Uh, well, look, it's been so interesting speaking to you and our, our commiserations for exiting the tournament, but I'm, I'm still really excited about the next time I see this French team. Thank you so much for joining us. That is Tara Britton, uh, who's a French football journalist. Thank you, Tara. Thank you. Bye-bye. And good luck for the final. Oh, thank, thank you, you, Tara. You've gone right <laughs> up to the top of our favourite journalist list there. <laughs> okay, so we've got a bon chance there from Tara, haven't we? And our big final preview podcast. It's going to be streamed live on The Athletic YouTube, Twitter and Facebook on Friday at half past 12. I'll be hosting that. It'll be very exciting. Do get involved. We couldn't resist spilling a few of our thoughts, though, early doors on this final. So let's, if we can, leave with one parting final thought each on the big one as England take on Germany in the Euros final on Sunday. I feel like I need some music for that, Rachel Yankee. Duh! A final thought from you, Rachel Yankee, on this game against Germany. What do England need to do so that they don't struggle as France did today? I think they need to stay calm um, under pressure. There'll be moments where where Germany will obviously have more of the ball and you know put put them under pressure. But I think this England team has really shown their resilience. You know they can attack, and I suppose there's question marks that they haven't really uh, been put under pressure in defence. But what they have shown is the grit and determination and the belief and confidence of all of them that really kind of, I don't know, makes you feel proud uh, of what the team what the team are doing when in previous previous years or tournaments that, you know, would have would have gone a goal down, maybe shoulders would have, you know, shrunk a little. I think this team, they seem to galvanize themselves and um, you know, fingers crossed, fingers crossed they can do one more game. Linz? Well, I think Williamson is gonna have a really busy time of it because it will be her against pop won't it so I think well I'm sure Millie Bright will be coming across to help so I'm thinking of them both for that but I'm going to start a new slogan feed the mead feed (laughs) the mead is my final thought my thought is this Germany are so flipping good on the ball aren't they they are so good on the ball And they are going to be greedy with the ball as well. So we've got to be aware of that. We've got to keep our shape and we've got to stand firm. And when the opportunity arises, Lindsay Hooper, you're absolutely right. (laughs) Feed the mead. Honestly, it can catch on. It can. I think so. Um, Before we leave this one, I did want to mention um, both of the coaches at the final will be women. We've not mentioned that in the show yet. But now that we know that it's Germany and England, we do know that both coaches uh, will be female. And six of the 16 European coaches were women coming into this tournament. A nice final thought. We'll have more on our big preview, 12.30 on Friday on the Athletic UK socials, as Kate mentioned. Uh, Do join us for those. Well, that's all we have time for on today's Athletic Women's Football Podcast Euros edition. Thank you, Rachel. Are you at the box park for the final or are you in Wembley Stadium somewhere? I'm going to Wembley. (laughs) Oh! (laughs) 
<laughs> well, look, thank you for joining us for this show, Rachel. It's been such a pleasure to have you on. And it's not an award speech, but we do always, of course, have to say thank you to the other women involved in this production today. Lindsay Hooper, thank you to you. Sophie Producer, thank you to you. And male or female, however you identify, you are absolutely welcome as a listener on this show, as are all your friends and family too. So don't forget to get hyped about this Euros. Listen to us as many times as you like. Pass it on, follow and subscribe to our channel. Not just for this Euro edition, for the WSL as well. I think it's important that we chip in and say, it's the same channel and this is the one thing, the part of the legacy of this getting to the final, whatever happens, is we want to see the WSL get even more followers as well. Let's let poor Rachel Yankee go to bed, shall we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She'll be up at 5am with those kids. Uh, Listen, um, (laughs) producer Sophie suggested that I might like to say goodbye in German, but there's no flipping chance I'm doing that. So I'm just going to say a very round goodbye. The Athletic.